You're listening to the Roanoke Valley Church Podcast. John Landis preaches from Ephesians chapter 5 on a lesson entitled, Be Imitators of God. We are designed with the need to imitate, and like a mirror, we will reflect what we look at. Called to be imitators of God, our lives are meant to be free of any evidence of our former selves, but rather a progress as we continue to grow into Christ-likeness. What motivates this need to imitate God, or to keep the former self in the past? Paul says we are dearly loved children, and children who have been the benefactors of God's unbelievable grace. Listen in to be inspired to imitate God, to continue in your imitation, or to come back altogether. We invite you to visit us at RoanokeValleyChurch.org or on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Church, for more resources, sermons, and links to help you be a part of what God is doing in the Roanoke Valley. And now, enjoy today's sermon. Good morning, church. It's great to be together. Thanks uh, for all of our song leaders, and thank you, Greg Hirschman, for leading us in a time of uh, reflection and uh, taking the Lord's Supper together. Yeah, so uh, excited about the Christmas season. Again, as uh, Greg mentioned, we will be on Mill Mountain on Christmas Eve. That does, that does take place of our uh, service on Sunday, on Christmas Day, so that'll be our service for the weekend. Uh, so we are going to have uh, hand warmers up there, we're going to have a little bonfire, we're going to have uh, hot chocolate and hot drinks, and we only plan to be there for an hour. So if you're like, oh, it's cold, and oh, what will I do? Uh, we're only going to be there for an hour. Uh, we will be leaving around dusk. Mill Mountain is actually open up till 11 p.m., which is uh, amazing, because the star is there. So there is a shelter in between uh, both overlooks where we will be. Uh, so come on up. It'll be a lot of fun. We're going to do a dramatic retelling of the Christmas story, so it's not going to be like a typical sermon. It's going to be what they call a first-person sermon. So come and see uh, who all will be acting uh, that out, including myself. There's a couple others that will be joining me uh, up there to do all of that. So it's for the kids, and it's for you, and it'll be a great time of worship. We will take communion together. And then if you want to stick around, we're going to go venture up to the star, you know, just go up the hill a little bit and pray, and then we'll uh, dismiss for uh whatever else you have planned that evening. Uh, I'm being really sacrificial because the Eagles are playing the Cowboys at the exact same time. Uh, so don't talk to me about that. Uh, we're, we're doing more important things. Amen. If you're a Cowboys fan, it, it's God telling you to worship him rather than the other star. It's, uh, look, at the, look at the right star. Wear the right star on your chest around these days. Anyway, all right, to more important things. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5. If you have a Bible, um, you're close to someone who has one, flip over to Ephesians chapter 5. It's been a great series, and we will continue for the next couple of weeks, uh, minus the Christmas Eve service. We'll, we won't be in Ephesians then, but we plan to, uh, to preach through the book of Ephesians, and then we'll start a new series in the new year. Uh, but Ephesians 5, we'll be looking at verses 1, uh, 1 through 14. Uh, the title of the, the lesson this morning is uh, Be Imitators of God. Imitators of God. And uh, this is a uh, a wonderful text. It is full of probably an imperative commands here as we get into verse 3 through 7 that are very challenging. Uh, it, the word there in verse 3, but, B-U-T, is one of the greatest transitions of Paul's letter here to the church, uh, the churches in Asia Minor and into Ephesus. Uh, so we will be looking primarily at the first two verses where it talks about us being called to be imitators of God as dearly loved children. And I pray that this morning that really resonates deeply in us. And then that, that response of being dearly loved children, which is all prior to this, all of the book of Ephesians, to help that be cemented into our hearts, our standing and status 
before Christ, that we are unworthy people, but we've been made worthy. Do you remember that? That that informs us. So when it comes to looking at this, uh, the way we used to live or the ways that still can, uh, can, can influence us, as Greg talked about, and how we can still continue to choose to live as imitators of the world rather than imitators of God, uh, we still have this status and truth that we lean on that informs not just our hearts, but our decisions and what indeed we live and look like. All right? So God is calling us as a church to help each other be imitators of God. This is not an individualistic pursuit. It is to the extent that it's on you, but we as a church are called to be imitators of God. So are you responsible to help me imitate God? Yes. Am I responsible to help you? Yes. We're all in this together. Amen? So let's go ahead and read. We'll read the first uh, few verses here, verses 1 and 2, and then we'll come back to 3 through the rest here. Uh, verse 1. It says, follow God's example, if you have the new NIV. If you have an older text, it simply says, imitate, be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We'll stop there. Previously in chapter 4, this is all one big statement. Those big numbers in your Bible and all those verses, some dedicated monk uh, hundreds and hundreds and year, hundreds of years ago, put all those in there. Uh, they're suggestive. They're not necessarily, they're not inspired. They're there so we can memorize. They're there so you can easily reference it. Like, so you can actually have conversations uh, back to, hey, go back to this chapter. They weren't in there and they're not inspired. So what this means is that these two verses we just read actually are the end of a thought that Paul, Paul begins in verse 17. So chapter four, it says, so I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. So it's this contrast of don't live like the Gentile, like the world does. Be imitators of God. That's the bookends. In the middle of 17 and, ver and 5 verses 2 are all these fantastic things about us no longer living in ignorance, no longer living, uh, living according to the world. Uh, we've learned Christ in a specific way. We are taught to guard Guard what God has taught us and dis the formal way in which we used to all live. All its deceitful desires, all the, uh, what, did, what did Greg say in the message? Breathing in, unbelief, all that stuff. That's the former way. And now we have a new self. Old self is gone. New self has come. We have put on Christ because of his grace. What? We've all put on Christ. And we're actually created not to live like we used to, but to be, be created to live in righteousness, in our relationships, in harmony, in unity, in love, in forgiving as God forgave us. To not be impatient people. To not have road rage. It wasn't applicable. Maybe chariot rage was, was applicable. But to no longer live that way, but to live righteously and with holiness. It talks about how we used to speak. And it says, put off all falsehood and speak truthfully to one another. Right? Building each other up. One of the more famous passages in Ephesians 4, 29 is to, to no longer let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful to build one another up. It talks about what we used to say. Get rid of all, for 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. But rather be kind and compassionate forgiving one another just as Christ forgave you. 
So those are all the realities that describe the new self. Those who are in Christ. That's, that's who we are. And that's who we're meant to, to mirror or reflect to the world. So former way and then new self. This new self is meant to continue to imitate God. So all that old self, malice, rage, impurity, filthy talk, unwholesome talk, which really means like talk that's not memorable. Like you ever talk to someone and they're talking about stuff that's really important to them and it might not be as important to you, but it really doesn't have any bearing on the world. It's kind of like when the, uh, the guys just talk about football stats rather than anything that's really relevant in the world. Like, I'm guilty of that, but it's like, you don't walk away from that thinking, like, that was really helpful. Like, you know what, I'm a better man now that I know Lamar Jackson's shot to Zach, he's a Ravens fan, or Jalen Hurts' rushing stats last week. Or I'm a better husband now, now that I know how many games the Eagles need to win to clinch a playoff spot. Or whatever it might be, or like just Wall Street Journal stuff, or just throwing stuff out there, or gossip magazine stuff. Like, okay, I might have been... I might have been entertained for a moment, but I don't walk away like, I want to go home and tell Lindsay, my wife, all about the conversation I just had about football. Like, that's not going to build her. It's, it didn't build me up, really. You know what I'm saying? That's unwholesome talk. It's just not memorable. It's really not good for anything. So anyway, so you have that contrast. And then we have this call to be imitators of God. So ask us as a church. How intentional are we about imitating God? I have to get past the first idea here before I can even consider that, that we actually can imitate God. Like God, we're not called to do anything that is not possible, that we as a church are meant to reflect and be like God. It doesn't mean that you, will, or, you or I will ever have the characteristics of God, of omnipresence, and always knowing what's going on, and I know truth and ultimate truth, that's not, that's not for us. But we actually can reflect him, and we're meant to, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. But if you can imitate God, how serious are you about that? It's an intentional thing. And even though we have the old self put off, if you're in Christ and the new self has come, and the Holy Spirit dwells within us, we're still called to look, to study, to hear, to think, you know, the old bracelet in the 1990s, what would Jesus do? They were onto something to really think through, what would God do here? What would God say? What would God respond? How would he respond? What would he do differently? Those are some of the intentional questions that flood our hearts when we are serious about imitating God. If you're like me, there are lots of other forms of imitation that I pick up much more readily than when it comes to God. What would so-and-so do? What, even good things. What would my mentor do? What would my dad do? What would this do? What would this politician do? What would this sports star do? What would culture have me do? We, as the Church of Christ, our dad, as Greg said, our Abba, our father, we are his children. What do children do? They watch. What do children do? imitate. It just was happenstance, coincidence, that we were pulling up an old video of my son when he was uh, one and a half. I think it was after Henry was over at our house, and uh, little Henry, and uh, he's, he's so smart, and he was just 
speaking words that I didn't learn until I got to college and things like that. But anyway, but we pulled up this video of Cameron uh, where he was super talkative, but it was completely unintelligible. Like, what was he saying? It was babbling. Uh, but I, the conversation he and I were having, I was speaking to him as if he were older than one and a half. But he was talking like all in the babbling words. So, yeah, did he understand me? Perhaps. Was he talking back to me, imitating me exactly? No. But I was treating him as if he were older. And as I'm treating him as if he's older, he's learning these words. So if I asked him, hey, Cameron, are you going to spill your milk again? Uh, Greg's up in the nursery. He, he fled the scene. Uh, but are you going to spill your milk again? And he goes, if I responded, how would he ever learn what to say? Right? So it's the same thing with our kids, whether they're 12 or some cases, if you have a 25-year-old, you're still talking to them as if how they're going to be one day, not meeting them right where they are. And God does the same to us. So I'll talk about that and how that helps us imitate him. But we are called to be imitators of God. It is how we were designed. We are designed to mimic God. We have the need as people, as I just, just described with my son, we actually have a built-in need to imitate. Children who don't imitate as they grow up have challenges down the road. If they don't imitate how to speak, if they don't imitate how to eat, if they still hold a fork or a knife like this, it's a, no, just kidding. There's, there's things you have to teach and they imitate, but they watch and they learn. The same is true for us. We can imitate God. It is something we are meant to look and constantly look towards so that we can grow up into who we've always been designed to be. You know, Christians have a way of saying that, uh, you know, why we don't do certain things. There's a lot of no's in this text that we'll get to. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. It's the first of its kind in this letter. And some Christians say, you know, people ask you, or you might respond this way, you know, why don't Christians curse? Well, because it's bad. We don't do that. Yeah, that's true, but that's not why. We don't just not do things because it's bad. We, not, we don't do things because God doesn't do those things, right? We imitate. So, you know, for the songs out there, Christmas season, so be good for goodness sake, that's lame. We're not good for goodness sake. We're good, and we want to do good because we imitate God. We don't say, well, I don't... You know, kids ask you, why? Why can't I do this? Well, that's what, that's what bad people do. We don't be a bad person. Okay, decent, excuse, de decent explanation, but not the best explanation. We don't do this because we're imitating God. We want to be like God. We don't do that because that's not what God wants us to do. And we sing about every Christmas, be good for goodness sake. So as you hear that song, let it rewire your heart and mind. Say, oh, you know, I want to be good because I want to imitate God. We'll talk more about that. So the Bible says that we are made in the image of God. Psalm 19, this is all about you know, we are designed to imitate. Psalm 19 says the heavens are telling the glory of God. We live in a beautiful city. We can look around and see all that God has done. I went to the Grand Canyon for Lindsay and I's uh, uh, honeymoon, not honeymoon, uh, anniversary. So every anniversary is like a honeymoon. It feels that way. Anyway, so uh, we went to the Grand Canyon, and it's like, whoa, this is incredible. And, and, and all of that, we have the Blue Ridge Parkway here, and it's like, whoa, these, 
God's creation is incredible. Even animals. My dog turned four a couple days ago. I'm like, wow, man, this is awesome. And all these things just show you who God is. But there's an author I love, and you guys, have made, many have heard of him. His name is Timothy Keller. He talks about how, you know, creation, it shows you characteristics of God, but doesn't show you God himself. But you and I, as being created in his image, we actually, like a mirror, he goes on to say, reflect God. We're always meant to do that. You know, a mirror is something that as a, as has a necessity to reflect whatever it's facing, right? So the mountain, you look at the mountain and says, whoa, that's reflecting characteristics of God. But you don't look in the mountain and see yourself. You don't even see yourself that well when you wax the hood of your car. Like, okay, I can kind of see myself, but it's not reflecting truly what it's, what it's being, what's, what's reflecting or what's uh, looking at it. But in a mirror, it's ex- reflecting, for the most part, exactly in two dimensions, everything that's facing it. In the same way, as we are mirrors, the mirror itself is nothing unless something's facing it. For us, we're nothing unless we're facing the right things. And we are meant to face God and then reflect him to the world. But we in our hearts reflect whatever we look at. So if you're looking at other things, you will eventually reflect those things. So this is a challenge for us as we imitate God. It's to know on the other, co- other, side of, other side of the coin is that you're imitating something. And it's whatever we look at. It's whatever we're focused on, we will become that. And that's a great joy, but a great challenge all at the same time. A mirror has to imitate. We are called to imitate as well. Amen? So be a mirror. <laughs> okay, moving on here. You know, the beauty of, uh, of this idea of, of being a child of God, a dearly loved child of God, and us being created in the image of God, is uh, the same, same idea is that we are meant to reflect something, but God in his grace allows that to come along steadily. And I love God because, yes, you and all are all a mess, and we have our issues, But God treats us as what we will be, not what we are right now. It's the same example of uh, my, you know, babbling son. And uh, funny, yesterday or two days ago, uh, Natalie, our daughter, who's nine, comes down and she has a, she kind of grabs Lindsay's coffee and she goes, oh, I have a lot to do today. And she takes a, you know, uh, takes a fake sip of her coffee to kind of imitate, imitate her mom. And we all have uh, memories of, maybe you did, but uh, kids walking around in their parents' shoes or little girls walking in their high heels or kids, you know, shuffling around in their dad's shoes. And I remember as a kid, uh, just the desire to imitate my dad as I would go into his, go into his uh, closet and put on his trousers and, you know, put on his jacket. And I'd be, you know, swimming in those things and come down and all this. And my dad had, had like a push broom mustache when I was like eight, eight or nine years old. There was plenty of times where we would, you know, we would just kind of, we would tape stuff on our mouth, like on our lip, and come down with his clothes and be like, all right, honey, see you, I gotta go to work today, you know, something like that. We would just do stuff, uh, as we saw our dad do. And uh, again, that, that it's in our hearts to, to imitate. And God, as I was saying earlier, with having these statements to my son as he's babbling along, 
this video, I, could, I wish I could show it to you, but this sense of, he was babbling on, was like, oh, that's super interesting, bud. And then I'd shift gears like, hey, do you want to go outside? And he'd be like, look, look it up, look it up, look it up. And I was like, oh, that sounds great. We can do that outside. I had no idea what he was saying. But this sense of like, okay, I'm talking to you as if, uh, again, something else. I'm not just going to meet you with the babble. In the same way, God has done that for you and I in a super deep and beautiful way. If you've understood the sense of, of, uh, of God's the, the doctrine or God, that God's hope for us is that we actually become people who are constantly transformed into his image, that we become Christians, and then every day, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says, we look at the Spirit, and where we look at the Spirit, there is freedom, and we behold this beauty, and we reflect him, being transformed into him more and more every day. So the more we look at him, the more we become like him. And we're transformed into him more and more and more. And it works this way because God, in his grace, has said, okay, okay, Abby, you're not everything you're meant to be yet, but I'm going to, don't take me wrong, I'm going to pretend as if you are so that you learn how to be just that. So in the same way, God says, you know what? I'm going to treat you like you are my son. I'm going to pretend that you are completely like him. I'm going to pretend, I'll, I'll explain the pretend part in a minute. You're all like, oh. so I'm going to treat you as if you've done all the faithful things that my son has done. I'm going to treat you like you lived perfectly, a holy life. I'm going to treat you like you were the one who lived righteously and perfectly. We're not that in ourselves, are we? Nowhere close. But God in his grace, in that hope that we would become more and more like him, that's how he treats us. And when we understand that he's treating us that way, what does that encourage us to do? It encourages us to actually become that. God is in the, in the works all the time of, of speaking things that are not as if they were. We are not complete yet. We have much maturing to do. We have much imitation to do. But God, in his grace, says, you know what? I'm going to treat you that way as if you've already completed your imitation. And that's his grace. We don't deserve that. And Paul is ramping all this up as dearly loved children imitate God. Because we have all of that. So that's meant to encourage us to do just that. And it works. It works when we see God say, I'm going to treat you this way. I'm going to forgive you. Even though we struggle to forgive others. I'm going to continue to call you higher, to love. Even though we have difficulty loving. We could all show hands. Oh, who lost their temper this week? Who was completely gentle and humble? None of us. But God doesn't say, okay, that's a couple knocks down of how I view you. No, I'm going to view you as if. You are my son. Why? So that you and I are inspired, encouraged, loved, overflowing with understanding of grace so that we are eager to live out how we are always meant to live. Are you with me? So Paul then says, okay, that's all yours, so get excited about imitating that God. 
It's not a chore. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's I want to look to him. I want to spend time with him. I want to get to know him. I want to hear his language so that I can live that way. But, verse 3, but among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual morality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. As I said earlier, this is, a, this is one of the strongest transitions in the New Testament. From all that to but, and then it describes this potential. Potential for God's people who are called to imitate. God's people who have been given grace on top of grace. God's people who have been infused with his spirit who have this incredible love showered down on, on them through Jesus, to then, despite all of that, live in such a way that is not an imitation to God, but rather the world. To actually go back and live in the way in which we were called out of. That former self can still be the case. Now, in this text, there's no, there's no, there's no implications that the church in Ephesus was living this way. There are other letters, read Corinthians and Galatians, that, that the disciples there had, had moved away from the gospel and were being called back. But here in Ephesus, it, there's no sense that they're doing these things. This is simply a warning that this is possible and there should be nothing like this among you, not even a hint Right? A hint of urine in your water. You drinking that? Nope. Not even a hint. Just the smith, it's, it literally means there shouldn't be even any talk of it. Like it's so far removed from who we are that this shouldn't even be something we ha have to talk about. And I'm challenged by that for sure. But Paul's saying that old self is gone. Don't let it come back. And don't be duped into thinking that you can live like this and not have wrath come your way. It talks about this. Have nothing to do with these fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. We'll talk about that. It says don't let those who say in the, in the back, in the back, in, in, the fore, in the background say, like, you know what? It's okay. This empty words. Verse 6. And I remember reading this for the first time, and Lindsay and I were talking about when she actually read this for the first time. She was attending another Christian camp, 
and stumbled across this passage. And a couple responses were, if I recall the conversation correctly, was, was, whoa, that's challenging. And then two, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. And what she was saying there is that I knew there was a standard. I knew there were higher expectations. I knew there was a call to not have this in my life. That if I claimed to be a child of God, to live in this way, an imitator of God, that these things aren't okay to be hanging around. And that was my life. I mean, I, I wasn't at that camp, but I would have been that guy that she looked at and says, that's the guy that's telling me that you can be a Christian and still be running after your desires. You can still be a Christian and somehow think that I can engage in impurity and immorality and say, you know what, the grace of God covers me. Cool. That I can somehow live in such a way that it's all about me and then sprinkle a little bit of Jesus in there from time to time and say, whew, good, glad I got him. That would have been me. And I think it was a lot of you. But then you read this and you're like, oh, that's not okay. That can't happen. That can't be the case. And if it is the case, it says here simply that don't be deceived. Don't be deceived that if you live in such a way that, you know what, you, you can think, oh, well, God's grace covers me. I'm good. I can just kind of live the way I want. Or, you know what, yeah, I, yeah, grace, that's cool. Thanks, Jesus. Anything else you got for me? If that's, if that's the way we're living, God says here, God's wrath will come on those who are disobedient. That's a serious call. Not even a hint. You know, we can have grace or we can have disgrace. Dis as in D-Y-S, like dysfunction. We can have dysfunctional understanding of grace or we can have God's grace. And God's grace is so beautiful that even in these challenges, even in these threats of living an ungodly life are there, we actually can understand grace so much so that we can stay in what they call the dance of grace always and forever. You know, grace is not an Old Testament word. Grace was actually this Greek word charis, which I've spoken of before. And if you recall many months ago, the, the dance of grace, which is often, it, often kind of shared in, a, in an image of three ladies dancing, kind of holding hands. And it's a never-ending cycle of grace. But what it is is the first person in the dance of grace is known as the patron. The patron who gives even though they didn't have to, who is in a position of strength and looks upon someone who has great need and says, you know what, for no other reason other than my love and my desire to see you do well, I'm going to give you all this gift. The second person in this dance is the recipient. And it's just to respond with gratitude, to let their lives be a reflection of the grace, the charis they've received. And the third person is another benefactor. It's kind of like pay it forward. Like, you know what? I've received this gift for no reason at all. Nothing I did to get it. And I'm so grateful. And that reflection leads to impacting other people who in then return with the sense of my life is there to live a life of gratitude towards this patron. I can't pay them back. There's no expectation to get underneath uh, out of this debt. I can't do it. But my life is a reflection of my gratitude for this gift and everything I do, all my energy, all my thoughts, all my being is to express this gratitude 
to this patron. And that's what charis is. That's what the dance of grace is. And Paul is saying here to a Roman audience that's more and more, uh, the minorities are the Jewish Christians and the, uh, the majority is these, these Gentile Christians. They are swimming in the sense of charis in their culture. This is a Roman idea. If you know Seneca, you know a little bit of philosophers. This Seneca is kind of a, uh, you know, he's a, he's a fan of Paul, I guess, for, for lack of a better word. He goes on to say that one of his quotes is for someone to break the cycle of grace. To break the cycle of grace is one of the worst things to do in life. That this would be recognized by all to break the chain. So when we look at grace and what grace has given us, this astounding grace that we are now sons of this wonderful, charitable, loving God and Father, the response is meant to be for you and I of sincere gratitude that everything my life is about is to make, is to ultimately show my gratitude to him. And when it doesn't, and when it goes back to more of what we see here in this text, that there's sexual immorality, there's impurity, greed, there's coarse joking, obscenity, foolish talk, all this stuff is out of place. Paul says in verse 5, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. We live that way. Those are true of us. Now you're thinking, oh, I became a Christian. Does that mean? Does that mean that I can lose my salvation? Is that what you're saying? I could lose it? As if God would snatch it from you? No. Well, you can leave. You can walk away. You can break the cycle. Would God stop loving you? No. Would God stop trying to intervene? Does God's Holy Spirit not try to convict in regards to sin, righteousness, and judgment? Does that ever stop? No. Does God say, oh, you turned away from the grace? Peace. I hate you. No, no, no. I'm, you can't change how I feel about you. But if God is not a God, if God is a God of free will, then you can say, you know what? I'm stepping out of this dance. I'm stepping out of the dance. And I'm going to live my life the way I want to. I'm going to take this benefactor and say, you know what, thank you so much, but not doing it for me anymore. I'm out of here. You can break the cycle. And if you break the cycle, then you know what? What inheritance is there for you then? That's not a popular truth. Because what it often leads to is, oh, what are you saying? That my life then is, is, is based on how well I do, how many works I do, how good I am. That if I avoid this and avoid that, then I'm, I'm saved because of how good I've been. Like, are we buying into Santa Claus? Like, you better be, yeah. like, oh, I might get coal on, on, I might get coal on Judgment Day because I was so bad. I hope, no, that's actually not, that's actually an idol. That's not who God is. However, God has done everything and will continue to do everything to help every single one of us and all people to get in the dance, stay in the dance, or come back to the dance. And if we're living in impurity right now, if we're living greedy right now, it's time to come back 
to the dance. If you're living in such a way, you know what, let me watch movies to see just how kind of raunchy I can get without feeling guilty. Let me look at pornography just enough where I don't really feel super guilty. Oh, you know, let me, let me live for my finances and my money and my, my toys and my things and all about me and neglect others or re- neglect other responsibilities just to the point where I kind of justify it in my culture. If you're living that way, you've stepped out of the dance. You've stepped out. You've do si your way out of the dance of grace. And the danger in all of that is I've done it. I've stepped out of the dance and justified, justified my sinful nature and say, I know it's, it's better than what it used to be. And because of God and because of God's church, in verse 11, who want to have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness but want to expose them, I've had the help of God's church to expose my character, my heart, my justifications to say, you know what? No, 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 no. That's not who you are. That's not who you're meant to be. Come back to the dance of grace. And I thank God. Thank God for his grace that allows us to start dancing again. To get back in there. Does that mean I was saved and then I'm not saved and I'm saved again? No, 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 no. There is a sense that there's a dance of grace and you need to respond to grace and come back. What does that mean? Practically, for you, it means, you know what? Tim- Timothy Keller says, you know what? Those who understand grace the most are more sensitive about sin than ever, but they're also more excited to talk about their need for forgiveness. You understand grace, you understand you're a sinner, but then you also are excited to be open and live in the light because grace is there. When we're more focused on ourselves, you can do what I was struggled with big time. Is if I sinned, oh, I don't want to talk about it because that makes me look bad. Who am I thinking about? Me. I'm not thinking about grace. I'm not thinking about the response. I'm not thinking about God or the dance. I'm thinking about how you all see me or how my wife sees me or how my friends see me. That's not about responding to the dance. That's not imitating God. That's about upholding my my appearance, which is a lot like the former self. So if you're wrestling with, oh, you know what? I have been struggling. I have been living a life that could be characterized by Ephesians 3 through 7 here. That there is impurity. There is greed. There is all this going on. Don't hide. Come back to the dance. And God's grace is there not to say, did you learn your lesson? You better... You better be good. You better be nice. No, no, no. It's, wow, you've responded to grace. Let us celebrate. And I, I, God is calling all of us, and I think it's perfect timing as the end of the year comes, to take some inventory, take some inventory on our hearts, individually but collectively, collectively as a church. Are we imitating God in our holiness? Have we shrunk back? to kind of seeing how much we can put in to feel good about it, but knowing that we're not giving God our best. You know, some of us may be giving more to Verizon than we are to God. Some of us rather uphold our subscriptions than to look at generosity. 
We need to get our priorities straight. And it's not guilt or shame that's going to do it, but it's looking at, here's a God who says, you are my dearly loved children. Grace calls us back. Grace calls us from this world where we polluted and distorted the beautiful intimacy that God designed in the sexual relationship and made it all about us. Where we say, you know what, I want all that, but I don't want intimacy. I just want my lustful desires. But having been affected by grace, you know what? No place for that. So much so that it's not even mentioned among God's people. We are under a, under a beautiful covenant of grace. And right now, kind of highlight this reality is that God has called us to imitate him, to live a life where we are reflecting him in all that we do in both our hearts and our lives. And we talk about worshiping God and mocking God, where we can't worship God and say that we're doing these other things too. This is idolatry. God says, I will not be mocked. You will reap what you sow. This idea of worship actually comes from more of the word worth, worth-ship, where it's valuable. It's worth it. It's worth it to you. So out of the offering of my life, this is worth it to me. It's worth it to have delayed gratification, to be holy. It's worth it to deny self in order to live like Jesus. It's worth it to not respond in kind when you are wronged. It is worth it to take a blow at home and say, you know, I'm going to be patient, and I'm not going to, when my son tries to man up, we call it man energy, when he kind of comes up like this, oh, man, I want to put him in his place faster than you can say man up. And everything inside of me is living for that moment where I want Cameron, my son, to know he's not on my level. And that is arrogant, and it destroys conversation after. But right now I'm working on this is fresh off the press. I am working on not reciprocating man energy to my son when he bucks up in his prepubescent life. <laughs> to say, you know what? This is more than about this moment right here. This is about all the conversations we're going to have after this moment. I want for the door to be wide open for my son to talk to me about all he's experiencing. I want to be there for him in the conversations after, not just win this one. And it is so hard. It is so hard because I am a proud man. And I do not like feeling, especially from someone like that's 12 years old, to feel like it's not okay. And I tell him it's not okay. But there's a difference to say, hey, that was inappropriate. Let's talk versus Sarcasm coming right back at him, putting him in his place, which is my expertise for sure. That's where I want to imitate my God because if my God bucked back at me like I buck at him, I'm not even standing anymore. If God said, you know what, I'm not going to forgive you because, you know what, I see how you don't forgive others, we don't have a chance. But we have our God who says, you know what, you can imitate me and you are dearly loved children. And if you've stepped out of the dance, come back in. And if you're in the dance, stay in the dance. And know that God's grace is meant to fuel you to kick off any type of minimalist's approach in our lives. Well, yeah, I just do enough. No, no, no. If God's grace hits us, then we're looking to what can I do? 
What more can I do? How can I help other people, as it says here, to wake up? So two practices. Reflect on how dearly loved you are. Start there always. Preach the gospel to yourself this week. And then secondly, reflect on where you need to wake up and who else may need to wake up. And it's grace that wakes us up. Not shame, not guilt. Grace wakes us up. We want to be imitators of God. It's our opportunity to do that every single day. What a gift. It is possible. It's all possible because of God's grace. Let's be imitators of God. Let's reflect and preach the gospel to ourselves this week. And let us wake up and get in the dance and reflect on the dance all week. Amen? Amen. Let's stand for a final song. Thanks so much for coming. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon. Be sure to check back every Sunday for new sermons listed right here. Subscribe to us on YouTube and like us on Facebook to stay in touch with all that God is doing in the Roanoke Valley Church. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.